This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. After being through, you know, that, that process of, of becoming certified and, and gaining some skills and experience, it's, it's now, I'd say, almost giving back. So being able to be president of IEM Canada provides that leadership opportunity and also the ability to almost uh, go after uh, some things that uh, you think can help, whether it's the local level, provincial level, or national level, or even internationally now. Hi, and welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe, and today I'm really stoked to have Greg Solecki from IAEM Canada. He is the president of the IAEM Canada chapter, and they are doing some really, really, really cool stuff up there. Uh, they're really young, 15 years old, but yet they are really dedicated to the emergency management field and to really spreading what emergency management really is and can be and promoting the profession. So I'm really excited to have Greg here on the show today. Before we get into the interview, I just want to talk a little bit about developing the community that we're talking about at the forums.emweekly.com. And I want you guys to get in there and really play with that and, and enjoy the conversations that we could have at the forums.emweekly.com because it's more than just like Facebook or those other social media outlets. This is going to, this is built specifically for emergency managers to discuss emergency manager issues without any other of the political and hoo type of stuff that's going on with Facebook and uh, the other um, social media outlets. So just give it a try and tell me if, what you think about it. You know, I'd really like to hear your feedback on those programs and what we're doing over at the forums.emweekly.com. Uh, also, um, that being said, we're having a really cool conversation about <laughs> the... Um, uh, well, the proverbial um, duty bag, right? Your 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 deployment bag, if you will, the bag that you need to have packed uh, prior to going into the disaster zone um, before you you know get called out for a week or two of of working. Uh, depending on what level of emergency management that you are, you could be gone for weeks. And and I talked in the EM student um, episode about Randy Steiner. I mentioned him again. Number one, he's a friend of mine, so I like to talk about him. He's a really cool guy. But I always love the story that he shows up for work on his first day, and then he gets deployed out for four months, if not more, um, straight for the fires that are happening that were happening at the time in Northern California and then into uh, Santa Barbara. So you too um, may have that deployment schedule going on. So have that bag packed and, and ready to go. And so the question I'm going to ask you guys, and if you guys can go over to the forums.emweekly.com and answer this question, what do you take in your deployment bag? Now, I don't care about the new clean socks and clean underwear and t-shirts and pants. Okay, we get that. You're going to bring uniforms. You're going to bring your, your daily clothes. Okay, you're going to bring deodorant. I understand, you know, there's stuff that you're going to wash your stuff with. I get that. I'm talking about the cool stuff that you bring that other people don't. 
you bring ham radio, for instance, or uh, like what electronics or what kind of uh, snacks do you like to bring? That's the conversation. I want to know what you guys bring in your deployment bag, and I want to hear from you. So go on over to forums.emweekly.com and tell me what you are bringing in your deployment bag. Let's talk to Greg. We have Greg Selecki from IEM Canada here with us today, and I'm really excited about this. So, Greg, welcome to EM Weekly. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's great to have you here on the show. So, Greg, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in emergency management. Yeah, well, I guess for me, I, I was in the firefighting service in 1986 and uh, stayed that way for about 15 years until 9-11 happened, believe it or not. And like a lot of other people, I had uh, a whole bunch of questions as to how and why that might have occurred. And it was around that time I started looking at um, emergency management and the disasters that were occurring, whether they were intentional, man-made, natural, that type of thing. And my fire chief at the time, uh, along with a, a lot of other folks, uh, had had kind of heard about the possibility of, of water utilities that were going to be impacted or were targeted by uh, a few of the bad folks out there. So I was uh, voluntold by my chief at the time to get over to our water services, uh, utilities area within the city of Calgary and uh, look at getting them along as far as being more prepared from a command perspective and uh, incident management perspective, uh, how they would integrate into falling into, uh, I guess, a bit of the um, response procedures that most of the emergency services were used to. So a uh, huge learning for me at that time to get into the different side of business and start learning about emergency management and uh, try to apply uh, what, what I knew from a coordination, command and control or leadership perspective for, for that area and then integrate it into uh, uh, the whole city. The Calgary is about 1.2 million people. So we've got a lot of uh, big issues uh, as well when we think about response and, that was my first foray in about 2001, 2002, getting into emergency management. So like a lot of us, we kind of kind of fell into it because it was a collateral duty. It's a, it seems to be the the apropos way of getting into emergency management. So you moved on. Uh, you done your you did your stuff, and now now you are part of the International Association of Emergency Management. You're the president up there for the Canadian chapter. I guess chapter would be the word to use. So tell me, how did you get involved with IEM and and how it is? How is it up in Canada compared to other parts of the world? Yeah, it was about uh, well the same time. As soon as I moved over into into that area, leaving kind of the nice little uh, comfort of what I knew in in the fire service and and having to learn a bit more about business, I and emergency management, I, I started reaching out to folks that I knew and and they guided me towards the IAM, so International Association of Emergency Managers, and at that time. I mean, I needed resources, I needed tools, I needed to learn a lot more. I wanted to have some sort of education or certification, and that's obviously what IEM offered uh, uh, at that time for me. And from a Canadian perspective, I mean, there are nine councils worldwide, of course, the U.S. being one and now uh, Canada being council. But at that time, there was only IAM uh, really, which was USA and, and US based. And that was prior to it going, going, uh, global, even though there were members all over the world. So it took, uh, from, uh, the, the Canadian chapter at the time, 
work towards becoming its own council as a few other councils worldwide have. And now 15 years into it, um, it's a bit different compared to the U.S. where IAM really came out of a FEMA initiative 65 years ago. But now IAM Canada is about 15 years old only. And we're trying to make a lot of inroads with Public Safety Canada, which is the equivalent to FEMA in the United States. Uh, work with them to develop policies and perhaps do a bunch of research, uh, what's available to us and our members, but also to almost be a, a voice for a lot of the different associations across Canada. Uh, the different provinces and territories that we have have a lot of emergency managers and IAM members. We want to provide them an opportunity to um, work with Public Safety Canada, work more globally, work with uh, folks in the States. Um, we know that uh, disasters know no borders. So right. if we can kind of make those uh, bridges with those folks, we, we'd like to do that a bit more as well. So what are some of the challenges that you are having up in, in Canada with with kind of bridging those gaps with emergency management and their other public safety agencies? Yeah, well, that I mean, that's almost the biggest thing right there is uh, we're newer. I mean, um, in, in a few respects, it's not that profession of emergency management is new, uh, but even saying that right there, uh, what, what's interesting is emergency managers are, are not a recognized profession in Canada right now. So that's a huge gap that we're trying to, to fill, meaning, um, you know, in the seventies, even uh, nurses and teachers up here uh, weren't recognized as a profession officially. So right now you've got emergency managers legislated nationally, provincially, uh, to be in place and have directors of emergency management in every municipality across this country, mm. but you don't have the profession recognized at all. So that's one of the biggest gaps we have. And I think the other one is really uh, seeing that shift from emergency management being on the side of, of, of the emergency services desk, whether that be police or fire, which is the norm, and, and moving away from that now because it's much bigger than the emergency services as us as emergency managers know that's, you're crossing into all the different critical infrastructure sectors and all the different uh, areas that, that really have interdependencies upon each other that aren't just about firefighting or policing or security. Yeah, it seems to be that's, a, that's a, the problem down here as well in some, some jurisdictions. So I guess we're not a, alone in that in that battle. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so... So realistically, I mean, Canada and, and the United States, uh, we, we do a lot of things similar when it comes specifically to, to public safety in, in general. And then, and, and I know that we're working really um, hand in hand in some aspects as far as the like, Homeland Security goes. And do you see that same collaboration um, in the emergency management uh, fields um, as the other ones as well? Yeah, for sure. It's... Uh... As far as the fields go and, and uh, looking at the cross-border relationships and, and how we can work together uh, much more uh, easily, I think. Um, I, I think about Northwestern, United States and Canada, when they do the uh, Cascadia exercises uh, based upon earthquakes every year mm-hmm. and, and get together uh, right and, and uh, making sure that the public are aware of that. Looking on the East Coast, I know uh, I've been involved with a one of the BOSS networks. So uh, we have one across Canada, the virtual operations support teams that are out there. And I think almost every state in the U.S. has those teams available. There was a massive uh, virtual exercise 
uh, an experiment that goes on. They call it, uh, geez, about five or six times now over the past uh, annually, the cause. So the Canadian USA network uh, experiments where they have virtual operations uh, and virtual and boss networks uh, uh, getting together to, to work on these big exercises on the Northeast. So yeah, there's lots of opportunity and, and definitely cross border is, is one of them. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of our cities, you know, like Vancouver, for instance, or Toronto, Montreal, for instance, they're really right there on the, on the border. So there's a lot of, you, you can, you can see how, if we have a major event in any of those cities where it could impact everybody else. I mean, think about the power outage that we had a few years ago. That's on the right. Northeast, you know, Exactly. Yeah, we were just talking about that uh, here today. I just happened to be in Montreal this week, and we were having that conversation about uh, that power outage that hit the East Coast and, and specifically the Toronto area, which was just massive. Yeah, and it's like, I, I, and it just shows that how our systems are all intertwined, you know, uh, in in that way. So it, it definitely is uh, something that we need to to keep in mind as we're making our plans, especially for those of you guys that are on the border and also in, in the Northeast where, where it's, it's so close to, to really having to reach out. I mean, I could see if there's a major event and, and I would, you know, like an earthquake or something like that up in, in the Cascadia, like you're talking about, where it's going to definitely affect Vancouver, where we're going to have to share some resources. And do we have those international agreements to be able to uh, share resources like that across the border or would it really be hard during that time? I think it's going to be tough. I, I know that's one of the um, pushes within that Cascadia region in Vancouver, Washington state and British Columbia to ensure that we do have that ability. Uh, on the other hand, though, it, it's even tough right now um, from a firefighting and emergency service perspective, uh, looking at Ontario and New York, where they can't even cross the border in some of the smaller areas uh, to, to if there's a fire going on. So but we like to, I think we like to think that we're um, going to be able to help each other right away all the time. But I, I, it, it's, it's tougher than it sounds when you're even fighting between paramedics and ambulance services to transport folks across the border and, and we can't agree upon that and, and how that should be just so seamless and easy. Right. <laughs> right. And it's true. And, you know, it's funny because, I mean, you know, obviously on the southern border, we have some towns that are really close to each other, but there seems to be more of a divide. I mean, we have some physical barriers on the southern border as well. But uh, there's parts of the northern border, especially like up in, in Maine and New Hampshire and then Vermont, that the towns a couple of towns, I forget which ones they are, actually, I think it's up in Maine, where the town is split in half, where there's people that can, you know, where half of it's Canada and half of it's uh, uh, the right. United States, you know. So that relationship has been there for, for since the since we became nations, I guess, back in the 1700s. So so it seems like it's, it's it should be a no-brainer, but, of course, politics get in the way of everything, huh? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, we do have such a rich history with uh, the relationship, and uh, you're probably aware it was just the 100th anniversary of the uh, Halifax Harbor explosion, and uh, which is still uh, one of the largest uh, explosions the world has ever seen, and it wiped out uh, much of Halifax and uh, killed hundreds of people. But Boston was one of the first to respond with uh, nurses and resources and equipment, and that was way back when... Uh, I don't think we worried too much about borders. It was just about helping people out. And right. Each year, actually, there's a huge uh, Christmas tree uh, somewhere in Boston that's donated by Halifax uh, every year to the state. Yeah, that's way. That's kind of the way it should be. But you know, that's the, that's us talking, and that's not the uh, the policymakers, I suppose. So 
let's let's kind of move into what we can do, uh, and as far as emergency managers, and what what can we do internationally to really bolster our profession? Like, is there anything that you can think of that would really, you know, push the the profession forward? Yeah, you know, I think it's a couple areas, and, and we talked about a little bit already. Where I think if we could do some cross-border uh, exercises, still, because you're right, uh, whether it's uh, a big earthquake or we're going to get hit uh, with some sort of uh, electrical grid or some technology issue, it's going to be both of us anyway. So if we could continue to, uh, you know, kind of reach out with, to our peers, which I try to do a lot with uh, the USA Caucus, as far as uh, the IAM is concerned. Uh, I try to work as much as possible with them and, and share what's going on between Canada and the U.S. as far as some of the different initiatives that are out there. I think that's great. I, I think another one is the educational portion of it. So if we could get academics together on board, both sides of the border to um, share their different ideas and, and what's occurring there, um, I'd really like to see that. One initiative specifically that I'm trying to push with IAEM globally and the U.S. and Canada are kind of the leaders in this is to um, support having academics and emergency managers, certified emergency managers through IAEM, uh, be available to be deployed to some of these disaster areas, whether it's continentally like uh, the Texas hurricanes or the ice storms in Canada or Mexico, Puerto Rico, where you have a, a small team go in of academics and uh, practitioners uh, as soon as possible to almost do a, a windshield assessment at a very high level, bring that information back as a white paper, and then provide it out whoever may need it, whether it's uh, governments or uh, other responders that may be going in. But at least you've got that combination of academia and practitioner to uh perhaps come out with a really good product that could be shared right away. Yeah, that's a really great idea. We're talking about you know the idea of sending uh, EM practitioners and EM academics into some of the uh, disaster areas to, to do some some firsthand research and also to uh, to learn more about how we, we can respond in a better way. How would that look in, in your mind? I mean I like the idea, but how would exactly would that would that look like um, going forth? Yeah I it's it's really about getting that uh, cadre of, of emergency management colleges or universities, uh, the, the folks out there or the institutions, whether it's in the United States or Canada, that actually have either diplomas or master's uh, degrees out there, PhDs that have those programs that would want to partner with um, the practitioners. And I, I bring up IAEM because... You know, we have a good certification in place. I know there's others out there, but as a non-for-profit and a not-profit in, in um, uh, Canada and the United States, we're, we're really looking at the development of practitioners. So you have to have certain education anyway. You have to have the skills. You've got to have certain behaviors as well. But uh, above all else, you've got to have experience. So we're not just uh, saying, um, you know, take a few courses somewhere and we'll, we'll give you the certificate. You actually have to uh, have probably close to 10 years in the profession before actually being certified. So that combined with academia and, and folks that would be interested in partnering 
to go into some of these faster areas. Uh, of course, there'd have to be sponsors, but I think there are mechanisms in place, especially in the United States already, where there would be funding available to do something like this. So it's a matter of bringing these two entities together. I'm not sure if there is actually uh, a conglomerate of post-secondary institutions that offer emergency management that speak to each other on a regular basis, working with IAEM to identify where they could go and when they could go, and then developing some of this uh, information in these in these disaster areas that would be able to be shared with everybody who needs it. So EMI, Emergency Management Institute, uh, run by FEMA, they actually have a mm-hmm. list of, of all of the uh, schools that, that offer emergency management degrees and programs throughout the country. And I know in the United States, we're close to 500 and something schools that are offer uh, secondary degrees. So that being said, what, as does Canada, are there any schools in Canada that offer um, emergency management or higher education degrees? The answer to that question and more when we return from our break. The modern emergency manager wears lots of hats. So how do you also fit in the needs of your exercise program? It's just a matter of time. And how much is your time worth? A lot. TTX Vault is the answer to getting some of that time back. Pre-assembled tabletops, drills, and functional exercises are what they offer. Spanning NIMS, hospitals and healthcare, special operations and more. Exercises come from the archives of the Blue Cell. Get a jump start on your exercise program today and visit TTX Vault at www.ttxvault.com. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. Welcome back from that break, and thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. Without them, we couldn't really bring you uh, what we have, so check them out and let them know that you came from EM Weekly. Let's Continue the interview. Are there any schools in Canada that offer um, emergency management or higher education degrees? Yeah, there are. And it, it's it's interesting. Like, as I get uh, a little older, maybe, and, and a little more experienced, especially in the emergency management world, you know, you've got 330 million uh, or 350 million people in the U.S. Well, we're a tenth of that. I mean, we're a country that's larger in size as far as the area is, but we're, we're a tenth of the size as far as population. So mm-hmm. almost everything is, is, is kind of on, on that basis, I noticed. So you said you've got uh, close to, did you say 500 institutions? Yeah, it's a, I think a little over 500. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got, you know, maybe a tenth of that and probably less. So, but we do have a diploma. So we've got uh, what would be your, your colleges that have diplomas. We've got uh, universities that have degrees, and then we've even got uh, PhD programs and master's programs uh, throughout the country as well, from right from east to west. So from British Columbia out to Nova Scotia, there are schools that are offering programs. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, in, in the United States, we have a bunch of what we call associate's degrees, which is your uh, a two-year degree, and then we have, um, we're getting more that are offering the 
the bachelor's degrees, but we have we have a lot of master's degrees out here, which is weird. But we don't have a mm-hmm. pure we don't have a pure PhD program in emergency management, really. So I think we have one or two, and mm-hmm. uh, so you know this it's growing for sure. And I just got to speak uh, at University of Albany a couple weeks ago to their mm-hmm. program, and they have fifteen hundred undergrad students in that program out there. So I know that emergency wow. management education is growing for sure, and the interest in the youth is is growing as as well. No, no kidding. That is incredible. That's a huge amount. And, and we, we're noticing it up here as well. Not again to that, uh, that amount, but uh, again, I'd say almost a tenth or a little bit less when we're looking at our schools and, and how many folks are in there. But we're definitely seeing a lot more coming out of uh, the academic world. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about that for two reasons. One, obviously, I teach, so I mean that just makes me happy in, in general that we have more people mm-hmm. that are interested. But two, there was a—I was, I was talking about this. There was a question that was asked on a poll somebody was doing for an IEM course, and they, the question was like, "Oh, what do you think of the fact that emergency managers are aging out?" And I was kind of taken aback by that, <laughs> and, and I'm like, "Well, yeah, but would you ask that question like, what would you think about police officers or firefighters that are aging out? Because there's enough people coming up from behind, and I think that's." One thing that we have to do as a profession is really encourage more youth, you know, younger adults to get into the emergency management field because it is definitely a rewarding field. Although I know it's not as, uh, you know, they don't make TV shows about it, but uh, it is definitely uh, a rewarding <laughs> field for sure. <laughs> what do you think IEM can do on that note to encourage people to go into the field of emergency management? Yeah, you know what I really have found with IAM was the, um, uh, as I mentioned early in my career specifically, which I guess is 15 years ago, maybe a little bit more now, but when I was looking, it was a matter of finding that, uh, that resource and that, uh, those tools and, and just learning more about what I needed to become a better emergency manager. Then midway through my career, it, it was a lot about the networks, uh, being able to meet a lot of uh, co-workers, whether it was in Canada, the United States, or even worldwide, and to kind of lean on them and, and find out what to do in some certain situations, which, which I've done many times before, like uh, being through just, uh, you know, hundreds of EOC activations and some of the biggest disasters in Canadian history. It was good to be able to know that I had uh, uh, some folks that I could... Uh, always lean on and get some information from but then another stage which is what i'm at now is is after being through you know that that process of of becoming certified and and gaining some skills and experience it's it's now i'd say almost giving back so being able to be president of iem canada provides that leadership opportunity and also the ability to almost uh go after uh some things that uh you think can help whether it's the local level, provincial level, or national level, or even internationally now, because some of the things we do is sit on the, the round table for disaster risk reduction uh, nationally and also internationally. So it's uh, all three stages of my career, whether it's the new intermediate or, or, or near the end of the career, I guess, or, or the pinnacle of the career, it it's offers something for everybody at, at each level. Yeah, I, I, that's exciting. That's for sure. And it, it is nice to, to look back on your career and go, yeah, this is where I knew I knew nothing. And now I kind of know a little bit more and I'd like to share that with everybody else. So that's, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's pretty cool to be able to do that, I think. 
<laughs> one of the things that I really strive for in, in my personal career is I never I try to never stop learning, and I, I constantly read books and 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 study you know the the our field and and to to really know what's going on. So. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to be able to to talk to people that, that have the same passion and, and share this. This is one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is to grow this community of emergency managers, you know, whether it's internationally or nationally or, or uh, you know, trying to get the, everybody to kind of listen to it and get on the same page and, and, and really, again, encourage everybody to do to, to be a, a, a good practitioner of emergency management. And I think the IEM program is a really great way of doing it. Um, I'm excited that there's more chapters out there. And I'm really excited to see Canada up and growing and, and growing and taking some really cool leadership and initiative out there because I've been reading a lot about what they're doing up in up in Canada with a few of the people that are writing specifically like on LinkedIn and, and whatnot. But what are some of the specific challenges that you think that Canada faces that might be a little bit different than, say, the rest of the, say, you know, the United States or the rest of the world? I think we've got, uh, I, I mean, being a bit... Um uh, newer as that profession. And, and I, I know I keep falling back on that, but we don't work exactly, you know, the, the same way as the U S does. And, and the way we have, uh, our constitution, the way it's set up and, and how the federal government works, how they might have a mandate or a framework in place, but it's downloaded to the provinces. So the provinces have a huge responsibility from an emergency management perspective and we don't even really have a national response framework in place like you do with NIMS, like you do with ICS in some areas. And I know ICS isn't the, uh, the answer to absolutely everything. I'm an instructor, you know, FEMA certified and, and uh, ICS Canada certified as well. So uh, I'm pretty familiar with it. And I don't think it's the answer to absolutely everything. In fact, uh, uh, before ICS in the 70s, there was a system called uh, Incident Management in Canada, which was around uh, 10 or 15 years before. It has the same processes and methodologies in place that you would use within ICS. Um, it doesn't necessarily have the same boxes split up. So that is a Canadian version of uh, disaster response that had been taught for over 60 years that just happened to be cut at one time uh, uh, over this decade, during this decade by the federal government. And I think that's a huge loss. And, and that's something that uh, um, we're missing right now is that that uh, that leadership, I think, and, and that uh, coordination of, of the provincial entities by the, by the federal government and Public Safety Canada. Is there a push in Canada for... The individual preparedness and programs such as like the community emergency response team up there? Yeah, there is. And uh, we've even modeled certain programs, you know, instead of uh, totally reinventing the wheel all the time. Uh, we have CERT teams up here. Uh, they're not necessarily called that, but there is a big push right now to try to really engage uh, communities, uh, having folks understand, the you know, 72 hour preparedness gets but having them understand that uh, they're going to be the first response during any major disaster. There's been a, 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 a quite a bit of work done and a push as well to uh, look at some other groups that have uh, been effective over the years from a community perspective. Yes, you have the CERT uh, groups in the U.S., but there's also uh, European groups that have been around for quite a while that basically 
they, they have really strong community groups in place, but they're almost a, a cadet program where they're uh, disaster cadets. And uh, so the youth get together with uh, community leaders that have uh, equipment that is basically donated and they train on that much. You would like, you would have uh, scouting or girl guides groups that are doing community work, but they're training on disaster response and it's ingrained within that society. Germany is a big one where they have these groups all the time and, and the training lasts all the time. So that in, in, in case something were to occur, the responses run from the community and they have the proper equipment to do that. So we've been talking about that, uh, up here, uh, working with some of the certain community groups, trying to develop more of a, a cadre and, and larger community association, because you really want that public-private partnership uh, to work out as best as possible. Yeah, so true. And that is cool um, to see that movement going forward and, and to, to be able to take a look at the best practices from around the world and implement those. That's uh, I like that. I'm going to take a look at that disaster cadets thing. It's kind of a cool concept. Okay, so we're getting close to the end here of your time, and so a couple more questions. One is, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, um, how could they find you? Uh, probably the best way is uh, iaem.com in Canada. Anybody who wants to get a hold of me, it's it's Canada President at iaem.com is my email address. Perfect. All right, here comes the toughest question of the day. Oh, by the way, if you guys weren't, if you guys are driving, um, we'll make sure that that information is down in the show notes. So if you don't have your pencil ready to go, um, you know, go ahead and uh, and you can take a look at the show notes and get that information there. Uh, okay, so here, ready for the toughest question of the day? What book or books or publication do you recommend to anybody who's in the emergency management field or leadership? Uh, well, you, you got me with a good one there because uh, um, leadership is one of the big things that I'm really uh, working on right now and uh, uh, always learning, as you mentioned already, and, and that's one area that I'm trying to uh, develop more uh, as, as, as I move along uh, in my uh, career here. In fact, we have a conference uh, in Calgary in June, and a lot of it is based on innovation and leadership. But one book that I really enjoy is uh, called Seeing What Others Don't. And it's more about, I'd say, black swans. And it's not specific to disasters. It's not specific to leadership. But what you find in it is definitely some leadership lessons and how that applied to some of the disasters uh, that have occurred. Uh, Things like the mortgage crisis in the U.S. that occurred. It's Mm. looking back almost on things that shouldn't have been such a surprise and and why didn't other people notice them because some people did for sure but they just didn't get the the backing or the support uh 9-11 the report that was done you know i i think by uh uh some folks uh al gore for one uh, was involved about uh what could happen and could we use airplanes as missiles to uh take out certain areas Okay, so that that was uh, reported, recorded, but uh, it shouldn't have been a huge surprise when it happened because some people actually thought about it and knew about it. So mm-hmm. it's those types of things that are identified in the book, and it's a really good read, I found. That's awesome. So is there anything that you'd like to say to emergency managers around the world before we let you go? Well, I, I think uh, uh, one of the biggest things is uh, never stop learning and, and really take that leadership uh opportunity uh to heart because 
If there's one thing, I think whether we're talking about uh, incident management or working within an EOC or um, having an opportunity to, to lead certain groups, certain boards or associations, it has a lot to do with leadership. So if you can get specific leadership training and experience, uh, that's the one area that's really going to help us all out. Well, thank you so much for your time today and uh, I'm looking forward to maybe doing this again sometime. I really appreciate it and I'd love to. Thank you. Awesome. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe from EM Weekly. If your company is in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we bring in experts in emergency management, response, and leadership from around the world, and they're here to share their best practices. Our listeners are eager to learn about new products and ideas, so this is the space for you. For more information, please contact Brian at brian at emweekly.com.